Do you enjoy Strange Assembly? Interested in supporting the show? Then please make sure to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. We're at Strange Assembly on both. And head on over to the Apple Podcast app or iTunes and leave the show a rating or review. This is Strange Assembly, episode 291, Trifecta. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. I'm here today to talk about three new board games and board game expansions. Santa Monica by Alderac Entertainment Group. Tapestry Plans and Ploys from Stonemeyer Games, and Tellstone's King's Gambit from Riot Tabletop. Let's start off with Santa Monica from AEG and designed by Josh Wood. Santa Monica is a light tableau building game. The theme of the game is that each player is building up their own little section of the waterfront on Santa Monica. By the time you're done, your tableau is going to have two rows of cards, a row on the top that is the the waterfront itself, and a row on the bottom that is the street. So up at the top, you might end up with empty public beaches, you might have a pier, you might have a place where people surf, you might have a place where people are just laying out on the beach, whereas down on your street, maybe you've got a little cheap hotel. Maybe you've got a monument, maybe you've got a volleyball court, maybe there's a tourist shop. It's a delightful little light gaming experience, and, and in particular, the, the visuals on this, which of course you can't get at all in an in audio format, are, are really great. The way that you build your tableau in Santa Monica is via card draft. There's always eight of these cards visible to all of the players, and there's a front row of four, a back row of four, and your standard draft is... I'm going to take one of the cards on the front row, the card on the back row is going to slide down, I take the card I just picked, I put it in my tableau, you start with one double size starting tile, and then you spread left and right out from there. The game ends when any player has 14 cards in there. Everybody everybody gets an even number of turns, but that triggers the end of the game. Now, each of those cards has one or more tags, little square visuals that indicate whether or not it's a tourist spot or a local spot or a business or a sport location, a nature location, or whether or not it has good waves. Each of those cards may generate resources when it's placed. That could be different kinds of visitors to your city, tourists, and locals. Those score points at the end of the game when they're participating in activities. Uh, Resources may also generate sand dollars, which or the only thing that's like a currency in Santa Monica. The cards may also move your meeples around when they're selected, helping them get to those activities. Another use for movement is that your starting tile will have one or two VIP meeples who begin the game on that starting location and score points at the end of the game for having visiting cards of their preferred type. For example, one of the starting tiles is clearly a post office, and the VIP meeple that's generated by that tile gets victory points for having visited businesses, right? It's the mail carrier going around and delivering the mail. Locations themselves may also be worth end-of-game victory points. 
This is most often being adjacent to a particular kind of location. So you might have a card that shows a surf shop and it is worth more points if it's adjacent to a waterfront location with a waves tag or they'll score points for being in groups of similar things. So maybe this tourist shop scores victory points at the end of the game if it's in a group of at least three tourist shops together. But some of them are for, are for other things, like this one might give you victory points for, having how much, for how many sand dollars you have at the end of the game. Uh, like So that's, that's sand dollars again. So what do you use sand dollars for if you don't happen to get one of those cards? Well, in each game, there are going to be two sand dollar actions available. And exactly what these are is going to vary from game to game. There's four double-sided punch-outs, and so you pick two of the tiles and one side each. And what they do is give you a way to spend stand dollars to get a different sort of draft. And that is usually going to be something like, I'll take a card from anywhere, even the back row, as long as it has the certain tag. And then I get to move a few of my people and, you know, try to get those tourists to those activities, the tourists or the locals. Uh, or, you know, if it's a more expensive sand dollar action, it might let me actually draft two cards, which will accelerate the end of the game, because the end of the game triggers based on that 14 number. How many cards does somebody have in their tableau? When the game ends, you're obviously going to score points based on the locations you've put together. You're going to score points for the activities that your meeples are in, on your board, whether or not they're, you know, playing volleyball or surfing or go-kart racing, what have you. There's also going to be a scoring tile. There's several of them in the game, so it's going to vary each game, but each time there's always going to be one set of scoring based on your waves. There's going to be one set of scoring where you're losing points based on having a bunch of meeples sitting around who are not involved in activities. And then there's going to be an additional scoring tile that is something about the arrangement of the cards in your beach. For example, you might get points based on how big a grouping you have together. Like, you know, let's say your biggest grouping is six nature tiles all in one group. You'll get some sort of extra points for that. Or it might be getting points for trying to pair up the waterfront and the street cards, because it's it's not required that you have an even number of those. You could have a big long street go in one direction, a big long a waterfront go in the other direction, but this particular scoring tile would reward you for keeping those together and even. Now I I would say it, it's a bit odd for a light game, but you may find that your first game of Santa Monica is a bit rough around the edges. We did. Uh, so if you're gonna play this and I think it's worth checking out, keep in mind that your turns are, are modest aren't building some vast engine and then doing a bunch of crazy stuff as the game is going on. There's there's an even keel throughout the game and, and there isn't always going to be some big exciting play for your cards. It's You need to pick the best card for you, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to fuel some massive points burst every single time. Don't sweat it if you don't have a fantastic card to pick. When you play the first time, don't expect to be able to strike a great balance between getting meeples, moving meeples, and how many activities you have and where those are. There aren't a ton of ways during the game to move meeples, but then you do get this one final movement at the end of the game. Locals in particular just can fly across the board at this point. 
So it, it's actually a waste of your resources to get every single meeple into an activity before that final action. At the same time, a pile of extra meeples, you don't quite get to activity circles, can be a significant point swing, right? You're not getting the points for them being in the circle, then you're probably losing points for them hanging out doing nothing. So it's one of these, like, think about it, but over to, oh, don't overthink about it. Finally, my, my third tip for smoothing out your first game is just keep an eye out for cards that can readily slot into your tableau for a decent chunk of points. They really add up, and you don't want to lose track of the value of just taking a card that's right there three points while you're trying to go into this big grand scheme of if I just get this one card right here, I can put together this bigger group to assemble. So that's Santa Monica, designed by Josh Wood, published by Alderac Entertainment Group. Once you figure out how things go, it has a really solid rhythm to the game to go with some really pleasant visuals, and uh, and I'd recommend checking it out. Next up, we have Tapestry Plans and Ploys from Stonemeyer Games. This is the first expansion for Tapestry. And we've covered that before. I'm not going to go over the whole thing. Very tapestry. You had these big, gorgeous landmarks, and you had uh, the four tracks on the side of the board, and you're kind of alternating between spending your resources to move up those tracks and then having to take income turns to generate more resources again. You're filling up your capital city map, that sort of thing. Plans and Ploys is a small box expansion. This is not some $60 expansion. Uh, it's a small box expansion, and as a physical matter, most of that expansion box is taken up by the same thing that took up most of the base game box, those landmarks. Now, all of the landmarks in the base game are ones that either come from a technology or they're the ones that come from being the first person to get to a new segment on one of those tracks around the edge of the board. The landmarks in Plans and Ploys come from completely different locations. One comes from a space tile, one comes from a tapestry. But most importantly, five of them come from landmark cards. Landmark cards are a new thing. Everybody gets one at the start of the game. You do get to pick, and the pick order is reverse player order. And each of these landmark cards gives you a little short-term goal. Uh, having a certain number of, like, like having a fully upgraded technology card or completing enough of your capital. And then when you complete that goal, you get to put that landmark into your city. The existence of landmark cards makes it notably easier to fill in capitals, which then improves the scoring potential of a science slash population aspect of the game. They give you a nice little midterm goal to focus on during the early part of the game, there is a little bit of a downside because there may or may not be a good synergy between your landmark card and your civilization. That could provide a little extra variance based on how much synergy you have there. By default, you're only drafting out of a certain number of landmark cards that are equal to the number of players. So whoever is going first does not have a choice about which landmark card they get. If you wanted that player to have a choice, you could get out the num I mean you can get out the number of players plus one in unless you're in a five player game and then you know there's only five of them that are included. And of course the landmark miniatures in this are these fantastic big chunky colorful things as 
there were in the base game. So that's that's one of the two main things that's added in Plans and Employees. The other thing is just more civilization cards, right? Civilizations provide significant, significant player powers, and so different civilizations can just really change up the way that an individual game plays out. So the, the sorts of things that the new civilizations in Plans and Ploys mess with are there's one that focuses on tapestry cards. You get more tapestry cards at the start of the game. You have the ability to cycle through tapestry cards. You can get victory points for having a lot of tapestry cards in your hand. It also lets you mess with other people's tapestry cards, which is possibly one of the ways that you can best irritate uh, your opponents in this, depending on how you think about that. There's aliens, which lets you get early access to space tiles. There's the recyclers who have a heavy tech focus. They get to start with tech. They get extra tech upgrades. I definitely liked the presence of that one because you don't, even if you go he relatively heavy on tech, you don't get tons of tech in a game of tapestry. So if tech is a thing you want to do more of, the recyclers is there. There is a spy civilization lets you copy abilities from opponents. There's a civilization that has some really significant ability to do things on the advancement tracks, including possibly moving way up or way down, but they actually have to give tech cards to their opponents. So uh, again, there's uh, another involvement of tech cards, but a little differently. And then if you like landmarks, there's the utilitarians who get a free landmark at the start of the game and then get extra abilities depending on which landmarks they gain during the course of the game. That's really the two significant parts of the expansion. This isn't an expansion that's like trying to patch some big hole in the base game because there wasn't one. It's not adding a, a giant new mechanic. It's just, I mean, there's landmarks, that's, that's something, but it's not an enormous deal. The rest of the expansion is just extras for some other aspects of the game. So, right, there are new space tiles, but there are not any new terrain tiles. There is a bag for the terrain tiles forever if you didn't like just having pot stacks of terrain tiles sitting out on the board. You now have a bag to pull them out of. There are no new tech cards, but there are about 15 new tapestry cards. The new tapestry cards, on average, seemed less situational than the base game tapestry cards, and they introduced some ways other than traps to interact with conquering tiles. Some of them are different things you can play on defense. Some of them are things that you can play on offense to get something extra or to circumvent a trap. As always with Stonemeyer's things, there's new solo content. I don't do solo board games, so it's there, but I can't tell you if it if it's good or not. Ultimately, Plans and Ploys is fairly straightforward as an expansion, right? It's got one new mechanic. It's got most of the rest of the punch coming from the new civilizations and then a smattering of other stuff. I like the new civilization options. I like how the landmark cards make it easier to fill out your capital, capital city mat. I like the new tapestry cards, although honestly, it's a small enough number that you're not really going to notice much of a difference. There's overall a little bit more interaction between the players, between a couple of the civilization powers and the new tapestry cards that interact with with Conquest. So uh, all Plans and Ploys isn't doing anything enormous, but I think it is a solid addition that 
pretty much anybody who liked tapestry will also like. Uh, that is Plans and Ploys, an expansion for tapestry from Stonemire Games. Finally, we have Tellstone's King's Gambit from Riot Tabletop. Riot Tabletop is the new sub-branding of Riot Games because they have plans to continue producing things in this market. Of course, Riot is best known for League of Legends and some video game offshoots of that. But within the tabletop gaming community, of course, they made an enormous splash with Mechs vs. Minions, which had this unique release model where right, they're big enough, they don't have to do a Kickstarter, you could buy it directly for them. It was an enormous box with tons and tons of minis in it. They're very highly regarded, so it's pretty exciting when they announced that they were going to be making more tabletop games, and the first of those is Tellstone's King's Gambit. Now, the first thing that you'd notice if you saw Tellstone King's Gambit is that it's like the opposite end of the size spectrum from Mechs vs. Minions. Mechs vs. Minions was this enormous box. Tellstone's is this little tiny thing, which is fine, right? We all... You know, how often do we all complain about, you know, game boxes being mostly air? Now, one thing it does share in common with mechs versus minions is that the components that there are are very high quality, right? It's it's this small metal box. It's less than five inches square, but you're getting, but in there you're getting several heavy discs, a couple of tokens, and a felt cloth along with a, a rule sheet and a couple reminder cards. So it, it, it's very nice stuff, but okay, what's the, the game itself? The, the rules for Steltones are, are very stripped down. Each of those seven discs has a different symbol engraved on one side of it. At the start of the game, all seven of those discs are face up. Players take turns moving the discs onto the line. That's one thing you can do. You can flip a tile face, a disc face down, or you can swap the position of discs already on the line. Technically, you tell your opponent to manipulate the disc, like you tell your opponent, swap this and that. But I, I think this is just to ensure that there's no shenanigans and everyone's like actually physically sees what happens. It doesn't change what does you're in total control of what happens on, on your turns. After a, a few turns of this, right, you're going to end up with all seven discs face down on the line. Now, at that point, players can start challenging and boasting. So when you challenge an opponent, you're saying you're pointing at a disc and challenge them to name the icon that is on that face down disc. If your opponent can, they get a point. If your opponent can't, you get a point. When you boast, you're saying I can successfully name every single one of these, what's under every single one of these discs. For reasons you'll see, you're presumably only doing this when all of the discs are face down. This is as much of a challenge as the challenge action because when you boast, your opponent can respond by saying, I don't care, I can name them all too. And if your opponent can name all of them, they win the game. If your opponent doesn't think you can name all of them and actually lets you try to name all of them and you succeed, you win the game. Or... Your opponent can accept your boast, say, oh great, I believe you, and you get a point. They don't try to name them all. You don't try to name them all. You just get a point. Unfortunately, while the components are nice, Tellstone is not much of a successor to Max vs. Minions on the 
gameplay front, it is ultimately a game of memory, right? The, the skills you need to play Tailstones are a good memory, and to much lesser extent, the ability to assess your opponent's memory and a lot of patience. If you remember which discs are where, and you remain patient, you cannot lose this game, right? You, you can't lose. There's nothing your ad- opponent can do to score a point so long as you actually remember where all the discs are. Now, if you want to actually win, then the, right, that's true of your opponent as well. So for you to actually win, you need to accurately assess that your opponent no longer remembers something. Or, or, and this is what happened in basically all of the games of this we played, one of the players runs out of patience and just starts challenging or boasting because they want to get the game over with. And because you had more patience, you now win because they you, you still remember what things are. That's that's really what there is to it. I mean, if you if you look at the trailers for this game, it pitches the notion that the game involves like this high stakes battle of bluffing. But there's really bluffing. What's going on is maybe distraction, right? Can you distract your opponent so they forget what a disc is? I tried this. Honestly, I think it just, it just annoyed people, right? Like try if you try to get into what it seems to be the spirit of this game, right? And having some sort of long-winded conversation about some other subject, and then you come back and hopefully they forgot it. People kind of just got annoyed when opponents did that. So what you ended up happening with these games, right, was you all the discs would be face down, the discs would get swapped around for a while, you kind of sit there and hope that your opponent run, that your opponent's memory fails, and if you have a better memory than your opponent, like you'll win this game eventually. But it just ends up sitting there taking a while. I'm still hopeful and excited and looking forward to seeing what Riot Tabletop does next. But we just did not have fun playing Tellstone's King's Gambit. That's all we have for today. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there on the Apple Podcasts app, on Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or whatever podcatching service you so choose. If you do not see Strained Assembly on your favorite podcatching service, please let me know. I would like to fix that situation. You can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear your comments, criticisms, and feedback. You can also find us on the usual social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly, and at Strange Assembly on Instagram. We'd appreciate it if you like and follow us on those places. We'd also greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Not to be mean to all of the other services, but that's still where the vast majority of podcast traffic comes from. And those ratings and reviews will help other people discover the show. And finally, if you truly enjoy Strange Assembly, we would love it if you would visit us at patreon.com slash strangeassembly. Until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.